Welcome, my friends and everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible. We are getting right back into Romans. We're going through chapters 2 and 3, where Paul is going to address the question, well, I'm a good person. Doesn't Isn't that enough to get into heaven? He says no. And then the question is, well, if that's not enough, then why should I bother trying to be a good person in the first place? And this is something that we're going to have to wrestle with. I think that we probably all wrestle with on some level, but by it's about... The Bible is about to get very real. We might get a little bit colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. At the end of the last section that we studied, which really is the beginning of chapter two, Paul lands on this idea where he says, look, everyone has sinned, which we here at Dumb Christian kind of take the position that sin is whenever someone chooses their own good for themselves instead of the God, the good that God would have chosen for them. And it, it, Paul says, hey, even Everyone has had this like awareness that there's this moral standard. And sometimes for some people, it's just this quiet voice that kind of tugs at their heart. And we've all walked through this phase where we've either had a conversation or we've used this system of logic and reasoning to have a conversation with that voice that says, no, I don't think that's what's best for me. I think this is good for me. And, and we create this environment where we enable ourselves and maybe others as well to choose for ourselves a good that is different than the good that God would have chosen for us. And Paul says, everyone's in that boat. But then there starts to be this attitude, and Paul kind of unpacks it here. He st as he steps into chapter 2 and chapter 3, he unpacks this idea of, but I'm at least better than that person over there. At least I'm not as bad as someone else. And this attitude specifically is kind of creeping up among the Jewish believers, and Paul kind of takes a step back and says, wait, why do you think that? Just because you come from the people that God used to bring about the Messiah, or you had the law, or you've had the prophets and God's revelation of himself, what makes you better than them? Because in some cases, I would argue, maybe there are even a lot of cases Paul says that there are Gentiles who actually behave in a way that's better than some of you Jewish believers, some of you who come out of the lineage of Abraham, those of you who have had the law and the revelation of God. The Old Testament was their Bible at that time. 1,500 years, years of God interacting with people. There are some Gentiles, non-Jews, people who don't have the written revelation of God, and some of them are behaving better better than you are. And, and I think about this for me in, in a personal context. I, I know people even today, couples, uh, individuals who live their lives. And I think, well, shit, they're better. They're more well-behaved. They live a better life than I do. And Paul is saying, what do you think it is that makes you better than that person? Because what it really comes down to Let's go back to the last section. Paul reiterates, everyone has had that conversation where they silence the voice that is calling them into God's goodness. Whether they've had the written law or it was just this voice in their heart that was trying to say, this isn't good for you. Let's do this thing over here. Let's not do that thing over you. Or a direct confrontation with the written Bible, right? No, I don't think I want to do that. Paul says it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone has had that conversation. Everyone is in the same playing field. 
about that conversation in their heart. Some even to the point where they've argued that voice into silence and that voice can't be heard anymore. Even some Jewish believers. Yeah, you guys who have fully embraced the Roman culture of debauchery and hedonism, right? Self-indulgence. It's so easy to, to have that conversation that we silence, even repress it so much that we, we would say, nope, I don't, that voice isn't speaking to me anymore, but it's just been silenced so much, buried so deeply that we can't even hear it anymore. And Paul says, it's not your behavior that we need to address here because it's your heart. He, Paul says, Christ will judge your heart, not your behavior, not if you were able to fit in you know, a cookie cutter mold, if you were able to behave or look a certain way. Christ is going to judge the heart of every person. And when Paul says this, he's, he's saying, I'm not talking about like that Hallmark movie, right? Where at the beginning, the person is conflicted with this tension in their heart where they have to go fire that single mother by Christmas Eve or shut down the small town drive-in, uh, you know, just before the big community celebration. And then at by the end of the movie, they say, ah, to hell with the consequences. I don't care if I lose my job. I'm going to do what I think is right. And, and there's this, you know, this celebration, the music plays, I have to hide a tear from my wife and the credits roll. That's not what Paul is saying here. God, Christ is going to judge the heart because you followed your heart. You did the right thing. No, what he means by that is Christ is going to judge your heart when we've convinced ourselves we're doing the good things. We're behaving the right way. Christ is going to take some time, collect all that metadata, right? Like Facebook or whatever. And he's going to look, survey through all of it and say, well, actually, here are all the ways that you silenced the voice of God, that you chose your own good for yourself instead of the good that God would have chosen for you. And, and, and there's some real danger, Paul warns, about getting hung up on and caught up in this idea of, well, if I can behave a certain way, um, if I can be good enough, look at all the ways I am good, I follow the law, look at how well I obey Jesus, how, how good I am at believing in Jesus. Paul says there's real danger there because what happens is it actually starts to take the attention off of what Jesus did. The world already thinks it's crazy that anyone would believe the only thing you have to do is believe in Jesus to go to heaven. You don't have to, it, it's not based on your righteousness. You just have to believe that Jesus was righteous enough for you and that's it. And then you see these believers who are getting hung up on comparing themselves to each other or comparing other people, comparing themselves to a non-believing world. And they're saying, oh, I'm better than this person or that person. And then the world that already looks at this Jesus thing as crazy and confusing, they're saying, hang on. At first, you're telling me it's not about my behavior. I just have to believe in Jesus because nobody is perfect. Everyone sins. But now you're telling me I also have to be worried about my behavior. Which is it? And if it's both, I don't need the Jesus thing because I can already try and behave good enough on my own What's happening here? And Paul says, look, if you get hung up on who's better than who and who can be better than someone else, you're actually making it more difficult for a world that doesn't understand Jesus as it is 
to even want to find out more about this Jesus guy and, and let alone believe in him and submit their lives to him. He says, it's not about your behavior. It's not about if you can be good enough. So then the question comes up, well, is there any value in being good enough? If it, if that's not what it, if that's not what matters, then why should I even care what I look like to the rest of the world? Paul's going to address that in a little bit, but what Paul does actually is really interesting because he's never met the Roman church. He's, he doesn't know anybody who's reading the letter personally. So he tries to like put himself in the position of the early Roman church reader. Remember, this new worldview has only existed for a few years. They're still trying to understand what it means to believe in Jesus, especially that Jesus came from the lineage of the Israelites. And so the Israelites are adding into Well, Jesus came from us. He came from the Israelite law and Moses and all this stuff. So he must be wanting and requiring that we include all this stuff in our belief in him. And it's causing some tension and some conflict because they're starting to compare each other themselves to each other. And then Paul, Paul is correcting this view and he says, but it's not about your behavior. Hang on. It's not about my behavior, but this is the heritage that Jesus came from, the lineage of Abraham. Are you telling me that if it's not about my behavior, it doesn't even matter that I'm an Israelite? So some of the Jews are getting kind of frustrated and, and you know, uh, up in arms about this. At least Paul's ready to like address that perspective. So he takes a step back, thinks, how are they going to respond to this? And he says, he kind of answers the question, is there any value in even being a Jew? And he says, yes, there is a value in in your national heritage, in coming from the bloodline of Abraham or maybe David, right? Or some of the other like religious uh, giants from the Old Testament. He says, yes, there's value in that. There's nothing about it that makes you magically right with God or um, makes you like in a better position with God. But there is value in it because it's a, a sign that points to the fact that God specifically used people in this world, a nation, a people group to bring about the Messiah. But it's not about your label. Hang on. It's not about my behavior. It's not about my bloodline, my heritage. What about circumcision? Surely surely there has to be something there because circumcision was the sign. If you don't know, it's cutting the foreskin off the penis. And that was a sign back in the day that said, we belong to the people group that God is using to bring about the Messiah. Surely there has to be some value there. Paul once again says, sure, there's value in the sense that it points people back to God and that he was going to do whatever it took to bring about a Messiah to save not just the Jewish nation, the Israelites, but the whole world. (sighs) Paul, I I don't quite get what you're saying. It's not about my behavior. It's not about my lineage. It's not even about a covenantal symbol that I can embrace. You know, some people like maybe wear a cross or get a tattoo of Jesus is Lord, right? It's not about the way that you can present yourself to everyone else. And this is something that we are, we know all too familiar. They didn't have social media back then, right? But it was the, it's the human condition to want to convey to everyone else the best possible 
perspective on ourselves that we can, right? Maybe we, like I said, wear that cross necklace or we post, you know, standing with Ukraine on our profile picture, or we post a little scripture tag on Instagram or whatever it is that we think is going to cast us in the best light. We put that image forward. That was the exact same thing that they were doing back then, especially Jewish believers who have, who were raised with the idea that you want to earn God's favor. You want to stand in his blessings. You have to behave a certain way. But on top of that, if you were part of the nation, the people group that God used to bring about the Messiah, wow, there surely has to be something there. And, and Paul takes a step back and he says, okay, let's, let's, let's address this. Again, trying to think about what are the Roman readers going to be thinking? What are the questions they're going to have? What are the, you know, the, uh, well, the issues that they're going to raise with what he's saying? And he says, Let, let's look at what it means to be an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a, a part of the nation that God used to bring about the Messiah. There are giants that you guys elevate and hold in high esteem, but they all failed at some point in their walk to be perfect as well. Every person, even those King David, right? Solomon, even some of the prophets who are really held in high esteem, they had behaviors where they chose for themselves a good that was different from the good that God chose for them. And he said, look, even they failed to uphold perfection. Those elite, highly esteemed leaders from your heritage and in your history that couldn't behave perfectly and do everything exactly right. There were times and seasons where almost the entire nation of Israel, the people group that God wanted to use, rejected his goodness, rebelled against what he wanted for them, and convinced themselves to choose a good for themselves that was different than the good that God wanted for them. And yet, despite that, It wasn't based on their ability to be good enough. God still used them to bring about the Messiah. God still used that nation, maybe your nation as a Jewish believer, to bring about salvation, yes, to the Jewish people, but also to everyone else in the world. And it wasn't because you were good enough. It wasn't because you have this magical bloodline from Abraham. It was because God is faithful to his promise. It's because God said, I promise I'm going to do this thing no matter what you do. And if you think about it, that actually makes God bigger and better than you ever thought he was. That God would still save everyone, despite the fact that everyone at some point on some level rebels and rejects him. Doesn't that make God like just so amazing that you want to follow him and say yes to whatever he has for you? And then he takes a step back again. Paul kind of shifts his attention and thinks, how are they going to respond? What's their counter argument going to be to this? And he, he starts to answer the question that I've actually heard that still exists today. A question that people use either as an excuse to not believe in Jesus or sometimes as a genuine curiosity. But I think most often it's a question used for Christians, believers who, who say, well, if God 
is made to seem bigger and better. He's, he's cast in the best light possible. If he's seen as being faithful, good, and he wants to save people, even when they sin and that his grace covers all sin, wouldn't it make God even bigger and better and more wonderful if we kept sinning, if we didn't worry about our behavior and we just kind of did whatever we wanted so that his grace looks even bigger and better. And it just shows how wonderful he is. And Paul says, "Uh uh-huh, let me stop you right there. The system of logic and reason that you're using right now to come up with this thought process of, man, it's okay if I keep sinning because God's grace is going to be seen for even more than it ever was. Wow. That's amazing. Paul says that's the exact type of logic and reason that we use in the first place to pick for ourselves a good that is different than the good God would choose for us. Paul says, wow, well done. Very clever. You stumped me. No. It's the same approach that people were using when Jesus was around, trying to trick and trap him into confusing him into saying, well, surely it can't be as bad as all that. Okay. So then there's this confusion and this tension. If it's not based on my behavior, if I can't be good enough, If the only thing that saves me is whether or not I believe in and accept Jesus, what are you trying to say, Paul? It sounds like you're saying I should not get hung up on and caught up in whether or not I can be good enough. But then over here, you're saying that I should care about whether I can be good enough. I don't understand. This is confusing. And so, Paul says, okay, well, let's walk into that, right? He takes that perspective. What are the Roman readers going to be thinking about this? How can I elaborate and explain this in the way that is going to step into the thoughts they're having? And he says, let's talk about the purpose of the written law. God, the way God revealed himself through prophets and through Moses, through the law. Why did God lay out a standard of a moral code if it's if he didn't want us to engage in being good people. What, what, what is going on here? And Paul says, the reason God revealed himself was because he, he no, he saw, I mean, he, he saw in the garden from the beginning, the very first sin, right? This internal conversation of, I know what I'm supposed to do. I feel this sense of what's right and what's wrong, but we are really, really good at going through that conversation of logic and reason to bring us to a point where we say, oh, I think this is better for me than what God said was good for me. And if he didn't reveal himself and he didn't lay down a moral code to clearly spell out, this is right, this is wrong, the whole world would be left with this expectation of you have to figure it out for yourself and everyone chooses for themselves their own good instead of God's good. And and so by revealing the law and his moral standard through the word, Paul says that what God was actually doing was drawing attention to the fact that, hey, everyone chooses their own good 
instead of God's good for them. Maybe not in every circumstance of their life, maybe not in every aspect of their life, but there are ways in which every person has had that conversation and chosen for themselves their own good, putting everyone on the same playing field. God says, look, did you do this the right way? Oh, you did, but did you do this the right way? No, okay, okay. Did you this, this, this? And so and we come now to the New Testament, this new worldview through Jesus Christ, where he is judging our hearts, really looking at, okay, are you trying to excuse your behavior or are you genuinely seeking out and pursuing God's good? And at this point, God's greatest good for everyone, Paul says, is belief in Jesus Christ. Okay, then comes back again, is belief in Jesus Christ enough or am I also supposed to be good enough. And Paul presses into that and he says, look, belief in Jesus is not just this kind of mystical imaginary thing that takes place in your head. What it is, is is it's a genuine surrender and saying, no, I know that I don't choose God's good for myself. I know I need Jesus to fix the problem, the damage that my decisions cause between God and I. I know that I need that. I know that the way Jesus fixes me includes a heart shift. Because what Jesus does on the cross, when we believe in him, Paul says that he restores our eternal relationship with the Father on a spiritual level. And what he does at the core of who we are is he begins to restore not just our spiritual relationship with God, but the original design of our spirit selves, our heart, that part of us that has, that makes those decisions on what are we going to do? What are we going to not do? And Jesus' work is includes restoring the desire for what is really, rightly, truly good. And Paul is encouraging people, hey, don't get hung up on once you believe in Jesus, whether or not you can be good enough like Jesus. But as you focus on Jesus being good enough, here is the way that I would encourage you as a, as a new believers, as a young church, to make room for Jesus to change your heart from this current state of coming up with excuses to not follow after God's will and to let Jesus draw your attention back to the, to, to actually to resurface that voice, right? That voice that we've maybe silenced, pushed down so far that we can't even hear anymore. Paul says, let Jesus dig that voice back up. Let Jesus restore that thing that's calling you into right living, not whether or not you can accomplish it on your own, but whether or not you're willing to let Jesus renew and restore that original design on our hearts that used to hear that voice and say, this isn't good. This isn't right. Go over here, do this good thing. Let Jesus restore that voice.
And it doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. It doesn't matter if you came out of cult prostitution. It doesn't matter if you came out of child sacrifice. It doesn't matter if you came out of X, Y, and Z, if you were having multiple affairs every day. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your background, your heritage. It doesn't matter. Everyone is on the same level playing field when it comes to their need for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, here's what's so amazing is that not only is everyone on the same playing field, on the same level, but everyone is equally welcome to receive the gift of Jesus restoring right relationship in the spirit with the Father and also doing a work in each one of our hearts to renew that voice that calls us and teaches us the value of God's good for us, helping us to see that, oh, you're right, That good is way better for me than the good that I would choose for myself. Believing in Jesus means letting him restore all aspects of who we are. Some happen quicker than others. Some happen less painfully than others. And some are very difficult to walk into. But Paul says every single one of these readers needs the work of Jesus in their life. And that is a quick snapshot of Romans chapters two and three. Join us next week as we get into four and five. I love you guys. I'll catch you later. Oh boy, that was a really simplified snapshot of Romans chapters two and three. Read it for yourself. Check us out on YouTube, Dumb Christian Podcast. Hit subscribe, ring the bell so you know when new content drops. Share this with your friends and family and give us some feedback. What are your thoughts on how we can continue to dumb down the Bible and make it accessible to all my dumb Christians out there. I love you guys. I'll catch you later.